Welcome to Season 2 of the Awareness Podcast. There will be a new episode every Friday from one of our four resident hosts and their guests. Tune in for Conversations in Truth with Bill Free, Living and Not Knowing with Jenny Beale, Tools for Awakening with Cindy Krupp, and Living an Awakened Life with me, Susan Telford. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Awareness Podcast with your host, Bill Free. Thank you for being here. And it's my honor to host a new uh, person to our podcast who has uh, an astounding, just really amazing uh, history, journey, and uh, story. His name is Jay, or he's, he goes as, as Justin Gold. And I want to thank you for being here, Justin. My pleasure. Justin is a spiritual master. And he's um, he's the founder of a nonprofit that does uh, does it helps uh, uh, third uh, people in other countries, people around the U.S. in uh, supporting um, uh, different organizations and people that are in need. And I think we're going to have a very alive conversation with Justin today. Uh, mostly, what. I'm interested in conveying is how Justin takes the lead role in his visionary uh, experiences and and uh, paving the way to support people in their uh, where they need help and also the students the the people that uh, found him as the as a mentor and guide he's uh, he's a teacher and a guide. In helping people to realize their own uh, experience of awakening as a, as a spiritual master and as a as a teacher, so uh, Justin, I'm happy to share you with our audience, and I'm interested in um, hearing how you go from being a poker player, a um, a, a boxer. <laughs> a restaurant owner, a builder, a family man with children. How do you go from there to uh, where you are now in the Sierra foothills with a community and as a, te a spiritual teacher? Yeah, a good question. Uh, I think you can only go from there. I think you have to go. I think life has given us as a, as a learning, as a school. And uh, if we go through it with, uh, with the, we go through it boldly, we go through it exploratorily, uh, we go through it with energy and try to keep the fear at a, of a minimum of, at a minimum of success and failure, that, uh, that we move through those lessons and we learn and, and get free of some of the things and <clears throat> don't have to repeat other, other of the things. And, uh, sooner or later, it comes to a point where uh, what uh, line in the Dylan song, what else can you show me? So and uh, asking the creation, what else can you show me, can only come after having seen a lot, because otherwise there's no else. You know, if a person circumvents life 
or is trying to escape or is afraid to actually uh, uh, actively participate, they never get to the point where, what else can you show me? And I got to the point of what else can you show me? And uh, fortunately, I had a connection with someone who took an interest in me and helped me out to see what else uh, I could be shown. The the um, so so you uh, I I totally get it that uh, you know we end up where we are uh, through the struggles of life through life happening <laughs> and hopefully we uh, we run into someone who would be a mentor a teacher a model an example that would attract us uh long enough to say oh yeah uh, i I, that's what i'm looking for as as a kind of a model would you say that that's what your your teacher was for you well i i crossed paths with him before i had any interest in the what's more that you could show could you show me more i was interested in the adventure more i was interested in the variety but uh, as I got to the point of being somewhat tired of my own manifestations, I started to appreciate the depth of his manifestations. And uh, then he was able to become a suggester for me, as uh, hopefully I am for other people. But he never really became more than a suggester. That was his way. His way was to lead from behind. And uh, it was perfect, really, for me, because... I was fairly egoful, you know, a New York smart ass kid is is pretty egoful. And I was that. And for him to confront me head on probably would have just uh, uh, fueled my competition rather than my curiosity to get to know more of what he had to what he had to offer. Right. So so this wasn't a, like a was this a spiritual teacher? Uh We'd have to define that term. He was, uh, uh, I would say, the way that you define the term, I would say yes. Uh, uh, so rather than go into a long description of word uh, yeah. semantics, I'd say yes. Right. I'm going to give right. you a yes. Sure. <laughs> Can, so uh, you're, you're familiar with uh, the, the uh, teaching of, uh, or, or you're familiar with, uh, enlightenment awakening yes yes uh-huh. i'm familiar so, with the terms right right so uh, would you say that that you had an awakening experience on your in your journey um uh over the years i i would say that i was in, early on i was not receptive to something that might call be called an awakening experience because awakening experience because I felt that uh, I had what it uh, what there was to offer. I wasn't aware. Uh, the other day, I borrowed somebody's car, and I took a trip, a hundred mile trip, and I drove to uh, to the city and and back. And when I returned the car, I said to the person I lent it to, "Well, that overdrive is really great." And they said, "The what?" I said, "That little button that you push." And uh, they weren't aware. They owned the car for years. They weren't aware they had another gear. And I wasn't aware that I had another gear. But uh, as I said, 
I became tired of myself and my creations more and more. Uh, they became repetitious. I became aware with his help and his questioning and his patience that uh, I had another gear and then I became receptive to uh, an awakening experience. And I think that really is what it takes. It takes receptivity. The more receptivity, the more possibility that uh, there are things in the way of our receptivity. If those things can dissipate, then those awakening experiences uh, become more available and available and available and available. And the answer is yes. Uh, my life has been a, an awakening experience and still is. Right, right, yes. And um, the so there's a there's a uh, you know we all have different language interpretations of uh, what words mean. And when I read your uh, quote that uh, what a spiritual master is is one who has attained a state of being being which grants the capacity, the willingness and the availability to support others in their quest to become themselves at every level from discarding the densities hidden in the personality to rediscovering the connection to the energy that keeps us alive and to perform this service while asking for absolutely nothing in return. Um, I think that's a beautiful statement and quote, and you could say um, it's a um, uh, it, it's an ideal that is it holds purpose and uh, vision all in in one statement. Uh, it's beautiful. It's it in in the part of asking for absolutely nothing in return is that it's it's not conditioned upon. Um, uh, it, it's not needy, it's not grasping, it's not conditioned on uh, giving to get. Uh, it's a, a total mechanism of uh, transfer uh, with no expectations. So I would say in that in that way, uh, in saying having said that, it, would you say that that has been the 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 reason that people, would uh, want to follow you into the foothills or follow you to these different uh, uh, experiences of of helping uh, uh, reach out to others with compassion and and uh, and support. Would you say that it's that those that are following you that are surrounding you are really uh, adhering to that same sort of a uh, decree? I'd say basically yes. I, I wrote that. I wrote those words. They're not a quote from somebody who lived a thousand years ago. They're they're a quote from me, and uh, I do aspire to to uh, that those beautiful words that you read and that I wrote. Uh, I think you'd have to ask the students, those people that uh, that my friends, if how well I'm doing. Uh, uh, in regard to that, but what I can say is that uh, the, the word following would not really accurately uh, uh, 
describe our relationship because I think that everyone is responsible and has to be responsible for their own connection. There are no intermediaries. You know, breath comes to us directly. It doesn't come to us by way of another person or by way of anything else. It comes to us from that creative energy, whatever we call it, and it comes directly to us. So... <clears throat> Uh, I I don't see I don't seek out followers I don't seek out people who uh, obey or listen or, or or listen in that way or try to fit in uh, I I can make suggestions for people uh, I can do that without wanting anything return in return sometimes uh, <clears throat> they're effective you know uh, I I have uh, I hold a record for spiritual teachers is that uh, my attrition rate is the largest attrition rate of any spiritual teacher. I have, I have uh, more people, I've, more people have come through the, the uh, or cross paths with me and very few have, have remained because my personal, <clears throat> uh, the way I see it is I have, I have the, uh, the intimate knowledge of the path that I've taken. So since I've paid attention intimately with that path that I've taken, I can pass on uh, uh, pointers, just as if somebody's traveling through the airport, they can say, in order to avoid security, you can do this or that. You know, I, I've paid attention. So the few people that I can, that I can uh, assist, uh, if they have the intention, are the people that have stuck with me for for the years that they've stuck with me. But I, I see that, uh, that uh, it's not so much that I'm selective, but what I understand in relation to what's necessary is relatively selective. You know, uh, I, I, uh, you, if you've read some of my stuff, you know I grew up in a, a relatively, relatively uh, unique circumstance with uh, the three major religions all being represented in my family, actually in my immediate family, because my grandfather's grandfather came over from the old country in a unique way uh, with a multi-religion group and stayed that way. So I have participated in the uh, uh, in the different uh, religions, you know, with Christianity, with Islam and with Judaism, I have, I, I tried my my uh, way with each of them to please my family, and uh, whether it's, you know, I tried the Allah Ilallah Muhammad Rasul, I tried the Shema uh, Israeli the Yiddish uh, sayings, I tried the uh, the Christian sayings, and they just didn't fit for me. When they were in the original language, I could say them, and they didn't make any sense, but they didn't have to make sense because they were in a different language. But when they were converted into English, they made less sense to me. So <clears throat> that idea of uh, a Christ died for your sins or any of the ideas that were presented, uh, it, they just didn't make sense to me. So I sought other ways for uh, the spiritual unfoldment to make sense to me. 
And that's about what I can pass on. Right, right. So, yeah, that's interesting because, uh, you know, the the um, a, a distorted form of truth doesn't have it doesn't have the power uh, to convey itself or to have itself be passed on because it's just words, concepts or ideas that, uh, for the most part, in uh, in my experience, uh, or I can only yeah I, I can say in my own experience of with Christianity or following different paths, uh, the paths themselves and the concepts themselves will never uh, wake you up <laughs> until you're ready to ingest and really understand and then uh, allow what's being offered to uh to uh to to be what you are it's just it's just a bunch of words and it doesn't matter what language it's in it's not going to be fruitful if it doesn't have a a place to uh to 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 germinate and to and to be uh to to uh to experience what it's pointing to and my thought is that that uh with with those different those three different backgrounds uh you didn't need the religiosity or the tradition to actually have an awakening experience in fact they probably uh were uh, obstacles to having that direct experience would you say i think that's i think that's accurate uh, I think what I'm I'm thinking of a, a moment that was very unreligiosity, uh, but a very awakening moment for me early on when when this mentor I described was teaching me meditation or trying to teach me meditation, you know, trying to at least introduce me to me meditation, something I was not quite prepared to do because sitting still was a, one of my enemies. And uh, meditation does require some amount of stillness. So <clears throat> I was in his house, and uh, I came. I, I came into his house, and he said, uh, "I'm I'm not ready. I need some time. Uh, maybe you could help me out and babysit for my granddaughter, who is in the other room, who is about three years old." And uh, <clears throat> I said, okay, it's not something that I wanted to particularly to do. I was about 20 years old at the time. And uh, I sat with his granddaughter, and <clears throat> I figured it'd be maybe 5, 10, 15 minutes, but it was two hours. And I, I learned something sitting with his granddaughter that, uh, that really made it possible for me to go in the other room when he said we were ready. So he obviously knew that my preparation for meditation was to get really quiet because that's the only way I could contend with this three-year-old was to get low on the floor, sit down with her on the floor, uh, talk real quietly, follow her in her little games that she was playing, not try to assert myself in any way whatsoever because anytime I would assert myself to her, it would be a non sequitur. So I ended up playing with her dolls and I ended up talking very quietly and <clears throat> uh, 
when I went in the room, I understood something about meditation that I could not ever have uh, have learned through a, dis a description or a lecture. I learned that meditation is a very passive process. And the more of me there, the less meditation is going to be there. The less of me there, the more of meditation is going to be there. So uh, what, what I'm describing is something that I understand in terms of experience teaches much more than words and lectures teaches. Now, words are needed to set up experiences. I understand. I very much, I mean, I've written half a million words in all those books you mentioned. Uh, so obviously, I believe that words have a, a place, but words can't replicate experiences. Words can only point the way to experiences. And yeah. that that is the dynamic that I teach. Well, is that uh, so? So you have uh, you talk about uh, the natural state being a prerequisite for meditation. Uh, could you explain what you mean by this natural state? It sounds like you you had the beginning drop in in that in that moment. Can you uh, speak more on that? I can because that I think is our major undertaking is to do whatever is necessary, whether it's a use of tools, whether it's a use of uh, a, a playbook of some kind uh, under supervision whatever it takes to see that we are not as we, we're not natural. We are normal, but we're not natural because we live in a sequence of, of, uh, of negativity. We have illusions of ourselves that we're one thing. I'm thinking now of, I don't know if you're familiar with astronomy or astronomical ideas, but it may be a good example is there's, there's a, a, an asteroid belt. There's a place where asteroids are formed. Uh, they're these big hunks of something. And, and uh, they're formed from dust, and the dust coalesces over thousands and thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands and millions of years and makes a big, a big chunk called an asteroid. And it lives for a certain amount of time, could be half a million years and then it dissipates and during that time we have given names to these asteroids <clears throat> uh, each of these asteroids has a name uh, that we've given them we see them as a as a something but in actuality the, as the asteroid was formed and it will be unformed and it's formed from all kinds of elements and i see us in the same way we have a name we have a fixed point. We see ourselves in that way. I'm Justin, you're Bill, and we see ourselves in that way. But really, we've been formed by so many elements that have come together for a time, only for a time. And our bodies and our individualities have magnetized those things, and then they dissipate. And then there is no more Justin, there is no more Bill. It's going to be a long time, so don't be concerned. And But since since we look at ourselves as solid and not all these component parts, we hold ourselves to something uh, that we can't possibly hold ourselves to. I'm thinking of, of uh, my high school team. 
my high school football team was called the Lions. And uh, high school doesn't last for a long time, but if you ask any of those football players, they, are you a lion? They would say, yes, I'm a lion. But they're only a lion for a while. That part of them that plays football is there for a while, and then they're not a lion anymore. And we're, as we are, ever-changing from all these different uh, interest groups that form to make us. But we're held to be consistent. We're held to remember things, if you know what I mean. We're held to remember on Thursday what we're supposed to do when we have other interest groups that want us to travel to wherever, to New Jersey or someplace like that. And so the idea of remembering anything without writing it down is remarkable. But we have the illusion that we have to say, we have to make excuses for our consistency. And that's one of the learning processes that we have to go through, in my view, is seeing ourselves as we are, that we're not one thing. We're a whole community squished into one body. And we don't have to defend that we're one thing because that's a full-time job. We also don't have to defend, defend that we're frail and that we're easily insulted and we're easily made jealous and we're easily offended. And <clears throat> that's not as it could be, but that is as it is. And so I try, the most difficult part of the part that I play is to get to people who imagine they're okay, to see that there's yet things to be done to be okay so that you can sit quietly in meditation and really experience what's possible there. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it it causes me. I I just I have a uh, a a direct question for you to to ask you to sort of uh, bring it to the to the place of of what meditation uh, also offers. So without the use of memory, who are you? I think that's it. That's a penetrating question that can be answered on, on a lot of different levels. <clears throat> uh, we are a body. I am a body. I am an intellect. I am an emotion, a set of emotions, and an emotional have have the emotional impetus and, and energy. Uh, <clears throat> uh, on that level, I have tangibility. It's dense. It's matter. It comes into being and it dissipates. <clears throat> Behind that, there is uh, a finer something, uh, which is free of some of the densities, whether the densities be negative emotions or uh, uh, attachment to the, the feelings of the body from time to time. There is a finer place behind that, still a finer place. And behind that, there is uh, there's light. and it, and sound, which is uh, not a, a, a metaphorical manifestation, but clearly a scientific manifestation of the buzz of the energy that keeps us alive. And behind that, there's that energy, that vibration, not vibe, but vibration that keeps us alive and it is experienceable. So we do exist on all those different levels. 
<clears throat> keeping that together would seem to be uh, an inordinately complex task, but in actuality, if it is what is, it's the simplest thing of all because it is what is. It doesn't have to be created. Personality is created to contend with the world. Absolutely necessary. A healthy personality, a healthy definition, a healthy individuality is essential. But it has to be acknowledged that it's coarse. It has needs, it has desires, it has likes, it has dislikes. Beneath that, there's something that has less, less need, less likes, less dislikes. Behind that, there's a possibility, the being that has the possibility of giving without expecting anything in return. That's not a magical something, although it is a magical in that uh, discipline that, that you, you value and represent the Course in Miracles. That is a true miracle that a person in their natural state could actually be giving, not, not force themselves to be giving or not remember to be giving, but it's there, you know, you need less for yourself, you have more uh, to put out. Right, right. Well, it seems like, just like you described the, uh, a beautiful description of the asteroid and how it, you know, it, it, it starts with nothing and becomes something and then is uh, then uh, dissolved or divested back into the nothingness and um and and the the we we would be similar to that in these body form experiences in that um we we show up and uh in these body mind body suits experiences and we we have some contact with uh, our true nature when we begin to experience uh, 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 understanding of what love is or what what connectedness is and even the term compassion in my mind it's because all of these things that make up the uh, formation of the asteroid is the same thing that makes up the individual eight billion each one of us we're made up of that that wholeness that when compassion kicks in and when we when we when we have this this pull to give without expecting anything in return it's because we have found ourselves as the collective uh wholeness and it only serves to give to itself Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I I have found that uh, you know there are there are uh, spiritual uh, uh, what somebody once called uh, exemplars. Uh, <clears throat> this uh, fellow interviewed me, looking uh, interviewing different people he considered or was seeing if they were spiritual exemplars. There seem to be different categories of spiritual exemplars. There are the people that have had an experience at a very young age uh, where something traumatic happened to them or maybe semi-traumatic happened to them and the ideal became real to them, you know, that that happened. 
and <clears throat> and uh, and then they live that life. Uh, I don't really know how those people can pass on what they experienced because if they got hit by a rock in the head and became enlightened or whatever, the only thing they could actually pass on is uh, to instruct people to go places where rocks fall and uh, maybe they could get hit by a rock in the head. I don't know how they could teach the steps because they really didn't have to go through those steps. And then there are the people who have gone through the steps and paid attention. The paying attention is very important because when you climb a mountain, you pay attention. You can, and I have done that in a, in a physical sense. If you pay attention, you know if you're taking somebody else on the rope with you and you paid attention, you know how to help them uh, climb that mountain. So right. it's having taken the steps and also paid attention. And then there's the elements of supervision, which I don't know how to circumvent. It's inconvenient to need supervision. Everybody wants to, uh, mommy, I can do it myself, or whoever, I can do it myself, or if I read it, I can do it myself, or how-to, if you read a how-to, you can do it yourself. But I don't, I don't, I haven't crossed paths with that possibility of, of uh, not needing supervision. Now, supervision is, has been is a problem because there are people who put themselves in the position of capable of supervision and really had needs themselves and they weren't really able to do that so supervision has gotten a bad name the guru's union is really doing badly reputation wise <laughs> so but it it is possible to find someone who can actually supervise without from behind and also without need. And I see that as tremendously necessary because the nature of our ad adolescent culture, and most people agree with this, is that the, the state of our being as a culture is far <clears throat> less than our state of our ability to create incredible things, whether it's artificial intelligence or whether it's cell phones or even dynamite. I, I was in, I took a train ride in Serbia uh, a few years ago from, from Montenegro on the coast all the way up to Belgrade in Serbia. And we went through, they advertised this train ride as the most tunnels per train ride. There was probably 200 tunnels. Every tunnel was blasted out with dynamite and you couldn't have gotten by train from bar to bar in Montenegro to Belgrade and Serbia, Serbia, unless there in uh, dynamite had been invented, so it did this great thing, and it also killed so many people. Explosives uh, make wars, you know, and bombs and all that is all part of that story. So we are capable of inventing things, uh, inventing incredible things. Our brilliance is unbelievable. But our state of being for handling those things, we have not figured out how to use a car without going from place to place as fast as we can and being dead in the middle. We haven't figured out how to use a cell phone without eliminating the intimacy of personal contact. 
but we have those things. And I see the same in terms of spiritual instruction, spiritual tools. They will be misused. We are instruments for misusing whatever we get as much as we use them properly and probably more. So I see my part that the most complex and the most intimate part of my job is supervision, to see to it that the tools that I teach don't go off the edge in misuse. The, the concepts that I talk about, that we were talking about now, don't get misinterpreted as something else. And I, I don't know, because I constantly see them being misused. Uh, so if somebody figures out a way to, uh, to pass on instructions without supervision, I think it would be brilliant, but I have not. Right, right, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's good. That's that's really important uh, uh, resource and a, a important instruction. If people receive it, I mean, uh, having a, a a mentor or a teacher that points the way that uh, that that gives you reliable um, um, models for. Uh, for how to approach things. And, and and we all need, especially in the spiritual, in the in the area of spiritual growth and uh and taking on uh the position of uh compassion and and leadership, we we don't we don't come into this world learning how to be gentle, how to be, you know, be a patient, how to sit quietly and listen and and then act uh, because most of our models are 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 not friendly to those uh, those environments. Even if you're in a church sitting and you've I've never been in a in a Catholic uh, you know, boarding school, but I've heard about I've had friends. You know they they weren't nice to the kids. They were pretty mean to them or actually kind of rough hitting their knuckles or whatever they do and then you know putting them in the corner dunce hats all kinds of crazy stuff so those aren't really good models and i'm curious because you uh, mentioned it uh, about uh being a, a good leader or a good uh, uh you know not i don't think you're consider yourself a guru but as a as a good teacher leader uh, spiritual uh, mentor. What is it like in your own community? How do you share those ideals with your community right there in Sierra foothills? Well, we have a lot of contact with each other. <clears throat> Sometimes I think maybe a little too much, but we do actually also go out and do some of these uh, uh, social work projects or aid projects that you talk about. And it gives us a lot more exposure to the world than we would be here because we're relatively insular here. And uh, as I say, sometimes I think a little too much. And during the COVID couple of years, we were a lot more insular. We got to know each other uh, probably better than we would have uh, because of the uh, the necessity of uh, being uh, uh, sequestered. Uh, but uh, we work together. 
we do actually construction projects together. We do we take care of the land together. We deal with money and food and and all the things, cars, all the things that we have to do. We try to deal with them together in moderation. In other words, there's no really surrender necessary where you have to give up this and give up that and give up this. Uh, it, it's definitely uh, moderate, moderately comfortable and moderately everything. So we get a lot of exposure and there are particular uh, tools that we, we explore. And uh, I, I like the word explore because that means that what we're doing is not so much a fixed point like this is what you do, but this is the idea that you explore and make it your own. Because if you can't make it your own, <clears throat> there's something of obedience, obedience going to be there. And obedience has a very short shelf life. It works for a while and then it becomes something corrupt. So uh, the method, the way I was, I was led along, uh, sometimes kicking and screaming, uh, was uh, led along uh, with ideas, uh, with simple methods that I was then told, see what you can make out of that. See what you can understand from that. See what you can develop in that, or if anything, uh, that can be useful to you or possibly even useful to other people. So that's what we do. It's a community, I hope, for exploration. I hope it's not a community for obedience, although obedience sometimes does rear its yucky head. And uh, if there's enough people paying attention, that following and trying to lose yourself in in uh, in the shadow of uh, somebody charismatic, which is very distasteful, uh, uh, is it, it's kept under control because there are, there are a lot of people really paying attention, which is a difficult thing to uh, to uh, crystallize. It takes a long time to get a bunch of people that are really willing to do that for themselves and for each other, and it's gone that way and. That's why there's never very many people in uh, in and around what I teach. Right. Yeah. And what you uh, you know you founded this organization, the Center for Cultural and Naturalist Studies, and is that something that is ongoing right now? That is busy doing things, has projects uh, in the pipeline right now in the United States. Uh, well, our first, our our last project was in Mexico. That was in the spring. That was considerable. It was uh, assisting the people that were uh, coming up to, to the border and trying to become uh, uh, asylum seekers, coming up from South America, coming across from Africa to South America, and then up South America, and then up Central America. So some very simple aid uh, being in places where they were in need and and giving them blankets and backpacks and whatever they could need. We did that for a couple of months in the spring. That was our first considerable project since COVID, where we weren't doing any projects. We probably will do something uh, in the fall 
it has not taken shape yet and we don't we have possibilities but that hasn't happened but i see that as really relevant because anybody who can deal with the spiritual quest has the leisure to deal with the spiritual quest and that leisure has a responsibility in my opinion that goes along with it because if you're if you're working full time two jobs and taking care of family and <clears throat> worrying about all the things that you're worrying about you're probably not going to be a candidate for uh seeking a higher state or a finer state because your your energy is occupied with food clothing and shelter so those of us that have that leisure <laughs> i i see that we have a responsibility not only to pass on what we understand in terms of spirit but what we <clears throat> what we have in excess in to give better people in need it's very simple it really is simple you know to try to explain to someone uh how to go inside or how to leave some of the densities of personality behind very complicated very not at its essence complicated but it takes a lot personalities don't match and like that but if somebody hasn't had water for a day and you give them a bottle of water that's it you know you're set you've done something you don't think was that a good thing a bad thing you know are they going to help or are they going to do with it will they misuse it you don't have to think any of that it's just very simple so we've made that part of our program uh both overseas and both in the US for hurricane relief and other countries for refugee stuff and and uh yeah it just fits in so well it's so it's uh, super rewarding i i saw that you all um supported uh folks uh from the uh experience of hurricane katrina and uh i've i've worked on hurricane relief for months after hurricane andrew in miami hurricane ike when it hit texas and so i'm very familiar with those uh support mechanisms and how fulfilling it is and uh thank you uh justin for uh creating the organization the leadership and the communities that uh allow people to uh follow that uh that desire to to help others and to and to learn and to grow into their uh their fullest experience of themselves uh both personally and also spiritually and thank you for being on this podcast today and uh appreciate it maybe you would return for another time because i feel like you have so much to to share you could uh we could do another episode even that would be great and justin maybe we'll meet someday if not have an awesome uh have an awesome time there in California. Blessings to all. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Awareness Podcast. Please remember to subscribe so that you receive a notification each time a new episode is released. Be sure to tune in next Friday for Living in Not Knowing with host Jenny Beale and her guest Hina Vasani in an episode entitled Life is Our Teacher. 
Would you like to explore spiritual awakening in the company of like-minded men and women? Then we invite you to join our spiritual community, Evolve. Click the link in the show notes for this podcast for more information. Monthly memberships are currently available. The Awareness Podcast is brought to you by the Teachers of God Foundation in association with Pure Presence Conferences.